This is Soccer Pilgrim, the podcast dedicated to soccer and travel, where each stadium is shrine and its fans delay people. For the traveler, it is another culture to explore. Welcome to the Soccer Pilgrim podcast with Jason Kim. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Soccer Pilgrim. I'm your host, Jason Kim. And today's episode is on Sevilla, or we're talking about Sevilla and Spanish football. But before I go any further, I do want to preface this episode with this one concept that I've come across actually watching Anthony Bourdain when he went to uh, Granada or to Andalusia in general. Oh, no, it was just Granada. And that idea is called Duende. Duende is is what flamenco it's sort of like a uh, an emotional state that flamenco musicians or flamenco performers get into duende is an emotional state in which the flamenco performers enter to express themselves in music or through dance that's why whenever you see flamenco performance is very emotional or i I use very but it's quite emotional because it's for a purpose it's a state of ecstasy in which the music carries the soul of the gitano gitano's gypsy carries the soul of the gitano performer and in other words, the the music when they when they sing, they really sing about things that affected them emotionally, whether that's love, happiness, sadness, anger, what have you. And it's all expressed through it. We see this common trend in any form of music throughout the world. But I guess as a Western audience, the best way for me to translate or describe that into a Western context in a North American context is definitely soul music from the American South among among black people they soul music or even just gospel music carries the person's emotional state through the song you understand what this person goes through just by listening to the music and how it makes you feel it's not so much about how it makes you think obviously but it's more about how this person is able to make you feel how they feel through their performance and flamenco music does that especially if you understand spanish and the reason why I want to preface with Duende, because Duende is sort of, you get lost in the rhythm of the music. You become one with the music. It's very esoteric, if not mystical, if you will. And as someone who's watched Spanish soccer fans and was among Spanish soccer fans, this is definitely how they enjoy football. And from my perspective, in within those 90 minutes, nothing else really matters. They're in it. They're in the moment. They let their emotions talk. Spanish football fans, just like the Italians and the Portuguese, are very or well, mostly Europeans, but but the Spanish are emotional in a way that is unlike the other European countries. Maybe similar to Italians and Portuguese, but the Spanish say what they want and feel what they want, and there's zero judgment. You know, and it's just um, it's just is, and that's duende. Maybe not in football, but duende when you see it in flamenco music, it's it's incredible. So to give you an idea of what Spanish football fans are like, this is. The following song I'm about to show you, it's called the uh, Himno del Sevilla FC, which is the, the hymn of Sevilla Football Club. And this is what they sing before every match. Okay, so I took that song from from the Sevilla YouTube channel. Uh, it's 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 incredible. The energy is incredible. I would have loved to be there. And the closest I got to Sevilla was at what Sevilla Football Club is definitely being in the city in itself. 
Now, before I go any further, this episode. So I spent a night in Sevilla, and I have to say, it's an incredible city. It's it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning. I was there with two of my other friends.、Uh, shout out to Daniel and Justin, and we were doing a road trip in Portugal, and we ended up going. We were in the south of Portugal in the Algarve, and we decided, you know, Sevilla is only two hours away. Why don't we just spend the night in Sevilla? We thought, yeah, that's awesome. We could pretty much, you know, two countries in one trip. And we rented a car from Porto, so we drove down to the Algarve. We、uh, we got to where we had to be in the Algarve, and then we drove to Sevilla to、uh, obviously the Airbnb we booked. And driving into the city, it was um, it was beautiful. There was just like fields and fields of fields of of just orange trees and vineyards and wheat fields and like. It was just like really nice. I, I like seeing farms like that. It was quite scenic, unlike the farms in North America where it's all just flat and corn and, and rye, and that's it. But driving in, as you get into the city, you it's quite a mountainous. You know, this、uh, Spain and Portugal is quite mountainous. So you're driving up and down hills, and then you come upon Sevilla, and it's just this old city just opens up to you. This old city with mod with with a handful, a sprinkling, if you will, of modern buildings, and I was immediately hooked. I was obsessed how the city looked, the vibe it gave. Everyone seemed so relaxed and open and happy, and it was just sunny every day. Granted, I was only there for one night, but it was just beautiful. And it was what、well, makes it beautiful. It was effortlessly beautiful. The people were effortlessly beautiful. Genuinely, they were just like it's as if they woke up, took a shower, put on their clothes, and bam, amazing. And And it hasn't really. It doesn't really have to do with the way they look. It's just the way they carry themselves. There's a confidence and there's a relaxation to about it that I found it very attractive. And I've only spent 24 hours. Well, me and my friends only spent 24 hours. We did as much as we could. And one thing we did say was it was amazing. We got there on the night we were our, the night we stayed there. There turned out to be a huge festival. I forget what festival it was. But it was a festival that was unique to Sevilla and to Andalusia, and there was flamenco performers everywhere,、uh, a lot of German and Dutch tourists everywhere,、um, and it was this pre-COVID, so everything was packed and tight. It was just so much fun, and you could tell this is a city that's about celebration. And for me, when I think about when I think back at Sevilla, what impression it left me and how it made me feel and how I can describe it is, you know, the cities. Well, no. The no, the open space of the Plaza de España was incredible, beautiful, very photogenic, very touristy, but worth the watch. But what I remember the most was the narrow streets, the orange trees that would dot the side of the streets on the sidewalks, and also on that night of the festival, I could still hear the flamenco music just echoing through the city's narrow streets, in the same way as you would hear footsteps in an empty hall, just echoing. It's calling to you. And it's a very uncanny feeling, but it was just like it was—it was like a spell. I guess flamenco music is by gypsies, so I suppose there's some gypsy spell in there. By the way, everyone, I'm joking. I don't hate gypsies. I'm just <laughs> just making a joke. But it doesn't change the fact that Sevilla has a way to capture you. And next thing you know, the city invites you. It sucks you in. And once you leave, it leaves you in a feverish in a feverish state. Longing to return to the city, almost like an addict, just wanting that one more hit, and that's really how I feel about Sevilla. I have to go back, not just to Sevilla, but to Andalusia. Go see Granada. Go see the Alhambra. Like it's, it's a lot of a lot of history. But I'm not here to be a tourist. But I'm here to talk about football. <laughs> and my time in Sevilla, I noticed one thing, 
there are two major football clubs in Sevilla. There's a Real Betis, Real Betis. I'm going to say everything in English pronunciation. If you're Spanish, you're going to listen to me butcher all your words. So Real Betis in Sevilla. <laughs> and I noticed that the majority of people living in the city are Real Betis fans, which wear the green and white striped jerseys. Sevilla, they were all red. And I noticed that Sevilla is sort of like the big international franchise and Betis is more the local fan favorite. But that's something for the soccer fans to understand what Sevilla is like. But how does this, but how does this, uh, Sevilla reflect the Spanish team? We'll get to that. But for, before we get to that, I want to talk about the stadium, the venue that's hosting the games in Sevilla. And that's Estadio de, de la Cartuja. There's not a lot of history in the stadium because it opened in 1999, costing 120 million euros and the capacity of 60,000. And fun fact, no professional club plays in that stadium full time, meaning... It's basically a venue for special occasions. So it is essentially a white elephant that costs 120 million euros. So it's a stadium that's just sitting there waiting to be used at any moment. The one thing that is consistent about being used about the sta- that it is used by the stadium is a Spanish national team. Whenever they have international matches, they'll have their games there every so often. But for the most part, it's no one's really using it. It's just there. So I guess that makes it for a perfect venue for the Euros. Some people think, why not Madrid? Well, Real Madrid Stadium Santiago Bernabeu is being renovated. Uh, Athletic Bilbao's Stadium San Mamés, which is an incredible stadium. It's beautifully located within Bilbao in the north of Spain. It's like tucked in the mountain. It feels like it's tucked in the mountains. It's very nice. That they pulled out as as uh, as hosts, which is unfortunate, but you know it is what it is. And Sevilla got the bid for this one. And almost all the Spanish games were held at this stadium, but uh, the biggest game of the Euros that happened in Estadio de la Cartuja is uh, the Belgium versus Portugal game, the 1-0 game which Belgium won. And that was a big game because Portugal were very, very, very strong favorites into Euro 2020. I'm... A little disappointed that Portugal didn't make it any further. I think most people are, but it's this Belgium side is just incredible, and they the Portuguese just couldn't deal with Belgium. So you're probably asking, you're probably wondering, why didn't Portugal win? Don't they have Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the best players in the world? And yeah, I mean that's that's a fair argument, but also soccer is a team sport. There's a really good Malcolm Gladwell podcast. I'm forgetting the name right now, but there's an episode where he talks about. He sort of compares soccer, hockey, and basketball. What are the difference in those sports? And he and he brought and he made a really good example. He compared basketball to soccer primarily. They said in basketball, the best player, it's more about it's a fo- uh, let me rephrase that. Basketball emphasizes or requires the best player. I I don't know if that makes sense, but basically in basketball, if you want to win. You need to rely on the best player on the team. There's only five guys on the court, so it's easier for the best player to dominate and be influenced at all times. Whereas soccer, it's 11 guys per team, and the field's much bigger. So your ball time is completely relevant to your positioning, how your team is playing, how the other team is playing. And it's if you want to win a soccer game, you need your weakest player needs to be good. Not the best, but good enough. Because sometimes, as I've said in the Germany episode, luck plays a huge factor in soccer. So if your weakest player makes a mistake or has a higher probability of making mistakes, especially in high-pressure situations, then your team will most likely lose. But if your weakest player is reliable, does the job right, no nonsense, nothing crazy, not like a carry or anything, but 
does what they're supposed to do, then your team will win. It's a soccer is a game where the best player doesn't win you the games, but the most reliable weakest player will definitely influence the game. Because all that all that Cristiano Cristiano Ronaldo needs is half a mistake to score a goal. That's the kind of player he is. And unfortunately, Portugal got knocked out here in Sevilla. And for Portugal, that's sort of the closest to home that they'll be. But Belgium is just um, the Belgians are just beasts. And unfortunately, they got knocked out by Italy. But the Italians are just better. And Belgium, their uh, their defense is lacking. Unfortunately, if anyone watched the Spain versus Italy semifinal, I I'm gonna talk about that game actually after. I'm going to talk about the game right now. I wanted to save that at the end, but uh, I'll talk about it right now and how that game really reflects what Spanish football is about. Because when you watch Spain versus Italy, the one thing I loved about that game is that it reminded me what soccer was like in like 2006 or 2000, yeah, 2006, where it was just, there was a fluidity. There was not a lot of stopping. VAR was into, VAR or instant replay was not interrupting the fluidity of the game. It was used when necessary. It was used for contentious calls, and I thought it was used perfectly. Because what I love about watching this is that I'll talk about the Italian style of play in the next episode, but the Spanish style of play is something that just is such a joy to watch when you see two contrasting styles. The Italians feel comfortable playing defense. Their strongest asset is playing defense and countering, and when they counter, they're very dangerous. But the thing about the Italians is that they're comfortable under pressure. Whereas the Spanish, if you watch that game, what the, the one thing you notice what the Spanish did at that, that they're very good at is passing. You might say, like, what passing? That's like the most basic thing you could do in any sport. But the way they pass the ball and they move the ball is incredibly impressive. Like, uh, there's an 18-year-old that was playing Pedri, center midfielder, 18 years old. In the first half of game, he's got a 100% pass completion. That is rare, very rare in soccer because anyone can intercept the pass. Maybe you made a, maybe your pass was good, but it was a little too weak or your pass was good, it was too strong and it never met its target. Whereas this 18-year-old passed better than Sergio Busquets, who's arguably one of the best, if not the best, center mid in Spanish history or like holding center mid. And he's just, he's a joy to watch. And this is why Spanish and Italian football is so much fun to watch because there are smart players on both teams who just are just magicians on the ball. They're, they're the mind, the way the mind works of understanding who's going to be where, who's going to run where, how to pass, like when to pass, how strong to pass. It's so much fun to watch. So if you remember anything from the, the Amsterdam episode or Dutch episode, I was talking about how total football is about every player on a team could play multiple positions and it's every single player on the field is interchangeable in terms of positioning. The Spanish take the cue from total football in terms of every player could do everything. The only difference is that they have a heavier emphasis on holding the ball, ball possession, keeping the ball as long as you can. The way the Spanish play, if you give them too much ball time, they're if you watch hockey, they're essentially going to do a power play around your box if you leave if you let them hold the ball. And this is why it's so beautiful to watch them play against Italy because Italians are comfortable with you having the ball. It's like, here, have the ball, pass the ball around, but you're never going to shoot on us. Even if you do shoot, there's going to be 10 guys in front of the in front of the net and we're going to have a low block, defensive low block, and there's nothing you can do about it. They just soak up pressure and then they release an attack. But then again, what's when Spain scored... By the way, okay, first off, the Italian goal was a counterattack Beautiful, well done by Chiesa. I, I talked about this in the, the recent episode, so uh, again, I'm just 
repeating what I said in an absent episode, but it was incredible. The Spanish goal from Alvaro Morata, out of all people, it was a one-two touch pass. Easy, fast. Morata picks up the ball, running through the center. Danny Olmo is onto his left side. He passes the ball to Danny Olmo, and Morata runs it between two, three defenders and sees an open, open space. Danny Olmo, his teammate, sees that open space, gives him the perfect ball between defenders. Morata runs into the box, controls the ball, hits it, bottom corner, goal. When you watch that, when you watch that goal, to me, that's Spanish football right there. Quick, fast, passing is accurate, and Barcelona does that the best. In world football, Barcelona's philosophy is passing. Like, I, if you want to be a Barcelona player, you better be a talented passer because that's what they look for. It, and it, it's intricate. It's uh, But also, you also have to remember that Spanish football dominated the world between 2008 to 2016, I would argue, maybe 2012. But they were... Everybody wanted to play like the Spanish. I remember growing up playing soccer as an 18, 19-year-old at the time. And I just remember everyone wanted to play like the Spanish. One, two touches. Tiki-taka. You know, dribble when necessary. But pass. Passing is the key. Quick passing runs empty spaces. I mean, that's how every high-level soccer player plays today. But the Spanish makes it their thing. You know. And you might be asking, how successful is that style of play? Well... They won the Euros in 2008, then won the World Cup in 2010, and then they won the Euros again in 2012. They're the first ever European team to win Euro, World Cup, Euro in a row. That's No one has ever done that. That's, that's incredibly impressive. That should tell you everything you need to know how good the Spanish team was. But now, in 2020, it's a new generation. It's a young generation. A lot of the players who are part of that incredible golden, golden generation of Spanish football, they're all older now. They're retired. Sergio Ramos is like 33 or 34 or something like that. And he was left out of Spanish squad. A lot of people were surprised because you want a senior guy on a team who could be a leader, care, you know, be a, a leader. And Ramos is a leader. And not just, not only is he a leader, he's like a last goal, last minute goal specialist. You know, his header against Atletico Madrid in the Champions League finals, one of my favorite goals where he scored that literally. Last kick of the game, he scored the goal on a corner. Uh, anyway, Ramos. <laughs> Love him or hate him, he's incredible. But that being said, this new generation is not that. What the Spanish do, what, I, what I've started to notice is they are really good in swapping the generations. You know, some countries like to cling on to, uh, you know, cling on to their best players despite their, despite their old, you know, being on the wrong side of 30. A lot of countries would like to cling on to them because they said, this is the best we have. We trust your experience. We trust your expertise. Now go out there and, and kill it. What the Spanish do is they try to remove as much senior, influential senior players as possible, like Ramos. When I started watching Spain, they got rid of Guti. Well, apparently he was kind of toxic in the dressing room. But they got rid of Guti and they got rid of Raul. Raul was like this Spanish golden boy. He was at the time the top goal scorer of the Champions League incredible striker beautiful striker he wasn't strong he wasn't fast but what made him great was his mind just being able at the right place at the right time it doesn't matter how strong you are as a defender he'll just slip by you and and when you're not looking for a split second he's going to be at the right place at the right time to score a goal and they got rid of him which and they brought in david villa and next thing you know two euros and a world cup win and this is what this this is what Spain's doing right now, getting rid of that older generation. Ramos is not in the team, PK is not in the team. Oh, Chabi Alonso's retired. 
Busquets and Jordi Alba are the only senior players that are still around. And to be fair, they're the only senior players that are probably still consistent at a high level. Ramos has been injured, so there's probably that to consider. But watching Spain play, despite losing at penalties and despite the hate that Morata's getting, I still think that the Spanish team looks very promising for next world, for next year's World Cup and for the next Euros. Luis Enrique, the coach of Spain, is crafting a really promising team. Luis Enrique is also a Barcelona man, so he knows how he understands the value of working with younger players. Danny Olmo on Spain, he's at RB Leipzig in Germany, and that guy's gonna leave Leipzig soon because he was so good this tournament. He might go back to Spain. I could see him going back to like well, Real Madrid could buy anyone. Barcelona can't really buy anyone because they're way over the salary cap. I didn't realize Spain had a salary cap. Atletico Madrid could be a thing. Actually, Atletico Madrid might be the best thing for Danny Olmo. Anyway, speaking of clubs, when you think of Spanish football, you often think about Real Madrid, Barcelona, Atletico Madrid. And that's fair because the majority of Spanish players come from one of these three clubs, especially Barcelona. They constantly produce talent time and time again. And that's why I'm not too worried about Spanish football. The fact they made it to the semifinals surprised me. I thought they were going to get knocked out early on in competition. I thought they were still a little green. But what this tournament showed is that these guys are good. Unai Simon, say what you want about the own goal he conceded. He's a fantastic goalkeeper. He's really good. But not only that, like the Spanish play with, with heart. They're very much like the Italians. That's why I love Spanish-Italian rivalry because they are so similar in demeanor. It's so similar in how they approach football. They both love the beautiful game. Both countries approach football like an art form. They want The fans only want to see beautiful plays. For the Spanish, they enjoy intricate passing. Yeah, actually, that's the main thing. The Spanish really enjoy the passing of the play and also just like being able to penetrate and score goals, which they kind of lacked in this team. They don't, have, they don't have a striker that could really bully the defensive line. Like, they need a David Villa or Fernando Torres, the Spanish team. They need someone like that. And Morata isn't exactly that, unfortunately. Whereas Italians love... They enjoy good passing, but what they love the most is um, when things are working the way they planned. Italian fans pick up on that. It's like, they're playing good defense, that's fine. We need that one opportunity to break and score. And, uh, and also, defending is an art form, and Italians do that well. Now I'm starting to talk a lot about Italian football and Italians, and that's for the next episode. But I want to conclude this with the Spanish... For me, the way I see Spanish football is how flamenco music sounds to me. Flamenco music has this rhythm. Like almost all flamenco music, whether the slow ones or the fast ones, they they all have a rhythm and it builds up and there's emotion to it and it's just, and it hits you. And that's how I see Spanish football where if they want to start dribbling you, they're going to see some incredibly dribble. You're going to see some incredible dribbling. If you want to, if you want to see some incredible passing, look to the Spanish. If you want to see moments of madness from just beautiful plays, the Spanish are definitely what you want to watch. If you want to see drama, again, the Spanish are great to watch. Just like the Italians, they dabble in the dark arts of wasting time and exaggerating and embellishing. But that's sort of what South American and even Mediterranean football is like. When Mediterranean, I really mean just like Italian, Spanish, and Portuguese. People will say, oh, we don't dive that much. It's like, come on, you do. <laughs> anyway, so... That was the episode for Sevilla. It's a city that is always on my mind and I really want to go back and visit. I want to end this episode with uh, obviously me talking about flamenco music in the beginning and how that really represents football to me and how I see Spanish football. I want to end this episode with a flamenco song that I've listened to for years. It comes from a documentary. This flamenco song is on YouTube. If you just Google uh, Spanish Gypsy flamenco song, it'll 
probably one of the first that pop up with 6 million views. The movie, it comes from a documentary called Safe Journey, The Vagabond Journey of Gypsies. It's a French filmmaker and he's sort of, um, it's sort of like a documentary, Film Verité. So basically it just shows you what it's, what, what life is like. There's no narration and they've, and it follows the gypsy community from North India all the way to like Spain and Portugal and that and how they sort of moved and how all of them are connected through music. So I want to leave you on this episode with that style of uh, flamenco music in Sevilla or in Andalusia in general. So once again, thank you for listening. This has been fun. I got two more episodes, which will be covering Italy and then Italy or and also the Stadio Olimpico in Rome. And then finally ending with Wembley in London and how Wembley is sort of the, it is the mecca of world football, especially of English football. And that being said, thank you for listening. Please don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. I also follow Soccer Pilgrim on Instagram at, yeah, at Instagram. And also you can follow my personal Instagram account, Jason underscore Jisoo, Jisoo spelled G-I-S-O-O. Once again, thank you for listening. Thank you for being an audience. My name is Jason Kim from Montreal. This is Soccer Pilgrim. Thank you. Hay un pajar.